We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm joseph Dorowski, and this week i am joined by producer andrew to talk about rapunzel from the graphic novel rapunzel's revenge welcome andrew hi you're always lurking but this time you're <laughs> full on <laughs> full participant in the discussion <laughs> I, I like i think in our history there have been maybe like four episodes that we ever recorded without you actually listening in while we were recording there, there's been a couple. Um, I know oh, over my honeymoon, I wasn't there. There's been a handful here and there. So selfish of you. Uh, this is a graphic novel that was published in 2008, and it was written by Shannon Hale and Dean Hale, and it was drawn by Nathan Hale. No relation. Well, okay, relation between Shannon Hale and Dean Hale. They are husband and wife. But Nathan Hale, the artist, even though the last name is spelled the same way, is unrelated unless there's like a, you know, seventh cousin kind of situation happening but as far as we know no relation between shannon hale dean hale and the artist nathan hale and this graphic novel tells the story that is inspired by the fairy tale of rapunzel as well as several other fairy tale um, characters show up throughout but set in more of an old west setting and rapunzel goes on an adventure how was that for summary andrew i mean it's basic but it's the gist of it. I mean, you get that from the cover. It's like, okay, Rapunzel, fantasy Western. Got it. And, and the best part for me where they connect Rapunzel with the fantasy Western is that Rapunzel braids her hair into a tightrope and uses it like a lasso. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's immediately evident. You're like, okay, I get it. I see where we're going. Lasso, hair. I'm on board. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a fun twist. Um, and it allows for... Uh, a unique take on a character that has had several versions in pop culture. Um, but I, but I definitely enjoyed uh, reading this one. Andrew, how did you first come to the graphic novel Rapunzel's Revenge? Uh, you recently suggested that we should cover this one. And so I borrowed it from you and we're talking about it now. <laughs> yes. Although <laughs> the it, I it, looked, it did look immediately familiar to me and um, Castro, my wife, um, Shannon Hale is her favorite author and she had read this before and I'm not sure if that's where I had seen it but at some point this this had crossed my path it was it was definitely familiar looking at it on the cover I was like oh I've not read that but I've definitely seen that and it it registered but that was the extent of it yeah and Sh- Shannon Hale is definitely a known commodity in uh in literature circles and particularly in utah literature circles Mm -hmm. which is where where we're based right now yeah but kestra's favorite books are are shannon hale books 
And I um, suggested this because I was walking through, uh, well, I'd, I'd gone, scanned along my shelf of graphic novels and nothing was immediately jumping out saying, this is the one you need to talk about. And then I was in my nine-year-old daughter's room to tuck her in at night. And I looked over and I saw Rapunzel's Revenge sticking out of her shelf. And I thought, huh, <laughs> we, we haven't done that one. And I just grabbed it. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, podcast. She's like, it's a good one. <laughs> then I walked out of the room. <laughs> And so uh, I knew it, I was familiar with it from her, from my daughter reading it, but I had never read it myself. Like I, I, she'd shown me some parts of it. And so I knew the art style and I knew the kind of premise. And also I was familiar with it because several years ago, maybe it was even five or six years ago at a, um, an academic conference I was at the um, popular culture association academic conference. I saw a paper that was looking at adaptations of Rapunzel and they had a section that talked about this graphic novel. And I remember being intrigued with it when I heard about it then. And I'm not actually a hundred percent sure when we got the graphic novel for my daughter, if it was from a library sale or, you know, or, or where I got it from. Um, but I'm sure whenever I did spot it, it was like triggered by having seen that academic paper. Uh, mm-hmm. I was talking about different adaptations of Rapunzel. But uh, it, my first time reading it was this week in preparation for this podcast. And I definitely enjoyed it. It's a, it's a good read. Mm-hmm. A little bit of trivia about Rapunzel's Revenge. Uh, this has a sequel called Calamity Jack. Um, we mentioned that there are other fairy tale elements. Uh, her sidekick in the story is is a guy named Jack, um, which immediately triggers several potential fairy tale um, options. Jack is a really common name in folklore <laughs> and fairy tale and all of popular culture, really. And the sequel to this uh, is called Calamity Jack, and that was published a couple years ago. Um, I like this world enough, and my daughter asked if she could get the sequel that I'm definitely going to track that down at the library for her, and I wouldn't mind seeing more more stories told in this in this world. Um, Shannon Hale, as we said, is a very popular author. She was first published with the novel Goose Girl, and she's published many other things. She wrote the Princess Academy series, the Austin Land series. She's done several after high uh, books for kind of middle grade or, or, or YA readers. Um, and I know the Goose Girl has, I think, three sequels that are set in that in that series, but I haven't, I haven't read those, but I'm just familiar with them um, as being very, very popular and, and ones that I hear mentioned a lot. And Kester could tell you about them. <laughs> is, that, is that the one that's her favorite series? It's either that one or Book of a Thousand Days. Um, those are the two that she mentions the most, but she's she's read the series associated with them. Okay. Um, and I, I know she did another graphic novel called Real Friends that my daughter has read um, and that I've seen mentioned in a couple um, places as, as being a good um, kind of middle grade graphic novel. Uh, and she and her husband, Dean... Um, I, I'm not sure what their first, I'm not, I'm trying to look at dates. This may have been their first collaboration actually was, um, Rapunzel's Revenge and then the sequel Calamity Jack. Um, and, but they've also collaborated on the Princess in Black series, which is very popular in the elementary school age group, according to what I see from my daughter and, uh, her friends. And so they co-write the Princess in Black series, and they also have co-authored a couple unbeatable Squirrel Girl novels for Marvel, which uh, we covered uh, Squirrel Girl uh, at some point on this podcast. I can't remember what episode number off the top of my head, but we'll get that at the end. Um, So another connection there. And uh, Nathan Hale, 
the the artist he does a series um, about uh, of graphic novels about history. I'm just trying to I forgot to uh, write down the name of that, and so I'm looking it up real quick. That series is called Hazardous Tales, um, which is um, I believe they're they're all kind of. Uh, Okay, this is the the uh, the short version from his website. It says thrilling, daring, and downright gruesome stories from American history in graphic novel form. And I, I'm familiar with that series because I remember it being nominated for an Eisner Award at some point. I can't remember what category it was in. Uh, oh, and this does it is also a New York Times bestseller. The um, Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales. Oh, that is a great good title. That's, <laughs> good. that's good. good. You when you yeah. pull that together. Yes. Once I said out loud, Nathan Hale's hazardous tales. Okay. There. I tip my cap to you, Nathan Hale. Yeah. That (laughs) that was better than when you just called it hazardous tales. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, before we move on to the full summary listeners, we want to thank you for joining us and downloading this episode. And we also want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on the protagonist podcast. And now the full spoiler discussion of Rapunzel's Revenge. And this, uh, this graphic novel is divided into four parts. So I'll, I'll just make mention of those as we go through. They're very um, episodic uh, in, in how the story kind of builds. Part one, Rapunzel is a little girl who lives in a very nice and large villa, but she is not very happy. There's a giant wall she'd like to go look over, but her mother's guards keep her from being able to. Her mother, named Gothel, has growth magic, but Rapunzel does not seem to have any magic at all. On one of her birthdays, and I don't think it's said exactly what birthday, but it looks like, I'm going to guess, just in the tradition of... Um, young protagonist when she's 11. That's my guess. Um, I think because... I thought it said 12. Oh, is it 12? Okay. So often I think, for, I think for... it said 12, but that's, that's the bracket. You have basically 11 to 13 as your window for these kinds of things. Yes. Uh, so, so kind of a young adolescent uh, birthday. Rapunzel finally sneaks up to look over the wall. And on the other side, she sees a smoky landscape with kind of early industrial mining is happening. And it it just looks very unpleasant <laughs> and and the earth has been um really uh you know it, it almost looks attacked by by um all the industry that's coming in and the mining that's happening around it and uh she gets caught by the guards but one nice guard who is actually like the only nice guard that she remembers from her childhood and someone who like teach taught her how to use a lasso and other things his name is mason he lets her go get a drink before she gets taken back to mother gothel because he knows she's about to get punished for having gone over the wall and as rapunzel goes to the well uh and at the well it looks like there's a group of slaves who are lined up and waiting for their turn to get water when she gets there the woman who is drawing water looks sort of familiar from Rapunzel's dreams. And she and the woman realize that Rapunzel is her daughter, that this is Rapunzel's real mother right there, that Mother Gothel is not her real mother. Um, and But then Rapunzel gets pulled away and taken back to Mother Gothel. And as punishment, uh, a different meaner guard named Brute takes Rapunzel out to this crazy forest um, where all the animals are giant and all the plants are giant. And uh, Rapunzel is put into a super tall tree that has a hollowed out room near the top of the trunk. And Brute leaves her there. Somehow Mother Gothel's growth magic ensures that food grows inside of this room. So she's not going to starve. There are three books in there that she quickly memorizes. And then she's just bored. 
as her hair grows to absurd Rapunzelian lengths. Once a year, Mother Gothel comes to see if Rapunzel has changed her attitude, but Gothel always sees right through Rapunzel's feigned subservience and leaves Rapunzel there. Rapunzel starts braiding her hair and using it like a lasso, more out of boredom than anything else. And the next time Gothel comes, she tells Rapunzel to come be her daughter back at the villa or she will rot in the tree. Rapunzel tells Gothel off and Gothel leaves angrily and the food that had been growing inside of the tree regularly stops. Uh, And Rapunzel realizes she needs to get out. Her hair isn't long enough to let her lower herself all the way down, but there is a tree that's sort of nearby and she manages to use her hair like a lasso to snag a branch and then swing, but mostly fall down out of the tree. And uh, she hits the ground where she is quickly attacked by a gigantic boar. But she uses her hair to make reins while she rides on its back, and she's just getting this giant boar under control when it gets shot out from under her by this Prince Charming cowboy guy who's wearing pure white buckskin. And he says that he's heard rumors (laughs) of a beautiful princess trapped in a tower in this forest, and he's there to rescue her. And Rapunzel says she's back that way, until and he wanders off and leaves her alone. Part two, Rapunzel is dressed basically in rags after her life in this tree. And she wanders into an old West style looking town and she's looking for food. And at a saloon, she's told that if she does some chores, she can get some food. A girl carrying a goose comes in and she is also looking for work. A drunk wants to eat the goose for a meal, but the girl fights him off. And this causes a wig to fall off, revealing that the girl is actually a boy wearing a dress. And this drunk man pulls a gun and Rapunzel uses her hair like a whip to crack his hand, making him drop his gun and Rapunzel and the boy run out as more guns are drawn from the cowboys in the saloon and they jump onto some horses Rapunzel doesn't want to steal but the horses were already stolen most likely uh the boy gives uh Rapunzel uh, so they get away and the boy gives Rapunzel some green striped long johns and a petticoat to wear which is such a weird costume for her at this stage in the adventure uh, and uh, this is not ideal, and Rapunzel knows this, but beggars can't be choosers. They ride to a ranch to try and find some work and food there, and they discover that the ranch owner is gathering a posse because his daughter has been kidnapped, and he has promised 30 gold coins to whoever can go rescue his daughter. Jack immediately sees this as an opportunity. He wants to break into the ranch house and steal the gold. But Rapunzel is really just worried about the girl who has been kidnapped. She's sensitive to such things, having lived in a tree for the last several years. She says she's going to go save the girl, and Jack comes along. They find the kidnapper's camp, and they make a, a really great plan about how they're going to rescue the girl. But step one just goes wrong, and every, nothing goes according to the plan that they laid out. Uh, but thanks to Rapunzel's whip hair, and uh, Jack... Uh, grabbing their guns and running away with them. They eventually are able to knock out the baddies and rescue the girl. They take her back, but her dad refuses to pay the reward, saying that Rapunzel and Jack might just be part of the gang that kidnapped her in the first place and are just bringing her back for the reward. But really, he just doesn't want to pay um, them because Mother Gothel's taxes are so high. And so it's easier to just accuse them than pay them. So Rapunzel and Jack get captured and taken to jail to be hanged. But through some luck and cleverness, they escape and they ride off into the sunset. Part three, riding into the small town, into a new small town, they see Brute is out looking for them, but they avoid him. Uh, Brute is that giant guard from the beginning. Um, In this small town, they see wanted posters with their faces on them. Uh, And from the corner, a man suddenly motions them over and he says he has a job for them. They look like the kind of people who uh, could help him out. He wants them to take supplies to old man Jasper, who is a witch that lives like a hermit up in the canyons. A cowboy recognizes them from their wanted posters and tries to capture them to claim the reward, but Rapunzel whips his guns out of his hands with her braided hair. And um, 
As they're heading up the canyon, Jack has a surprise for Rapunzel. He bought her jeans, boots, a shirt, and vest, so she doesn't have to wear the green striped long johns anymore. She looks like a cowgirl at this point. They find the crazy old witch, um, old man Jasper, in the canyon, and he promises to tell them a secret if they can stop the devourers that are eating his garden. And they stay up all night and try and hunt down the devourers, and they find out it is a tiny jackalope. And then they convince the uh, the witch that he wants the jackalope as a pet and that he's going to just feed it from his garden instead of the little jackalope uh, sneaking in and stealing his food. Uh, Andrew, for any listeners who are unfamiliar with the uh, mythology of the jackalope, what is a jackalope? The great American jackalope? Yeah, yeah. Just in case there's any listeners unfamiliar. It's a wild hair that somebody glued antlers on for novelty purposes. Yeah, but so they... <laughs> and argued that it was an actual creature, an antlered hair. Yes, in the American so, West. Uh, yeah. So just imagine a, a, a rabbit with antlers and that is the jackalope. But this is a really small, cute one. Oh yeah. This one is very small. Um, let's see. Okay. So now that they have solved his problem of the devourers, he gives them an origin story from other Gothel. Old man Jasper was a town witch, which seems to have just been a standard thing that towns would have witches. Uh, and he took on Gothel as an apprentice. She could do some growth magic, but nothing like what she does now. And Gothel took a trip into these woods to gather herbs. And she came back so much more powerful than she had been when she went in. And old man Jasper thinks she found a totem that is giving her more power. And if they just destroy the totem it might end her ability to rule over the land rapunzel and jack go on to another small town and this one says they have a problem with ferocious beasts at night rapunzel and jack offer to help them and they stay up all night and they're kind of hoping it's as simple as a jackalope but they discover the ferocious beasts are lots of wolves or coyotes because it's in the old west they might be coyotes but it's just a lot of these uh, actual ferocious beasts yes (laughs) and i I mean a lot (laughs) like dozens and dozens and dozens of them and after a few failed attempts to drive them away and some near-death experiences rapunzel and jack get on a horse and rapunzel spins flaming sticks from the ends of her lasso braids which scares the wolves and they're able to drive the wolves away so long as she keeps her hair spinning with the flaming sticks um on the ends of them uh you know tied up at the the tips of her lassos lasso hair and they drive them out to a place and they look around and they're like, huh, this, this place looks really nice. Everything's growing naturally. This would be great farmland. And they return back to that small village and they say, you should just move that way. And the villagers say, there is no point. They've actually moved several times because Gothel, what Gothel's doing, her growth magic actually lets her dry up the land as well so that she can make things grow or wither. And her magic keeps spreading to catch them. Every time they move out of the range of her magic, it reaches them and their crops wither unless they pay her taxes. So riding on, Rapunzel and Jack are captured by some little people who were miners for Gothel, but when she got tired of paying them, she drove them out of the mines. Brute shows up right then, and he wants to take Rapunzel and Jack back to Gothel. But when the little people hear this, they uh, they turn on Brute because the enemy of my enemy. <laughs> if Rapunzel and Jack are wanted by Gothel, they are now the little people's friends. So they turn on Brute, and uh, they tie him up and float him down the river, and they free Rapunzel and Jack, and Rapunzel helps them by catching a giant serpent that lives in the river and the little people had been fishing by swinging their pickaxes into the shallow part of the river and hoping they hit a fish and this giant serpent that Rapunzel killed is going to feed them for a long time (laughs) and feed them a lot better than what they were able to catch um, by swinging their pickaxes down into the shallows part four 
the finale. Uh, while traveling through a barren stretch of land called the Devil's Armpit, Jack and Rapunzel, mostly Rapunzel, protect a caravan from a group of bandits called the Terrible Trio. The caravan is traveling to the Big Shindig at Gothel's Villa. And whenever there's a shindig in a Western story, I'm in a good place as a member of the audience. <laughs> uh, that is just, it's the best plot device for a Western setting. Uh, and the the shindig is going to be at Goffel's villa, and this caravan promises to sneak Rapunzel and Jack into the shindig, and they so they go down to where the villa is, and uh, Rapunzel and Jack tr- uh, plan to to go meet back up with the the caravan at night, but they uh, Rapunzel uh, goes and sneaks around the wall, and she sees her friend the garden mason, and she lassos him and pulls him back into the the shadows where she and Jack are. And they get some intel. He tells Rapunzel that tonight is the party where everyone has to pay Goffle their taxes and pretend that they like her. And he also says that after Rapunzel escaped from the tree, Goffle locked Rapunzel's mother into a dungeon. And Mason promises to keep it secret that Rapunzel is back, and they let him go. They, uh, Rapunzel and Jack go back to the caravan, and Rapunzel gets dressed up like a princess, and Jack looks like a gentleman. And of course, this is the classic moment of Jack, like, oh, well, Rapunzel. You're a girl. <laughs> yes, yes, the well-spotted your girl moment. Uh, I mean, there there definitely been hints of some attraction between both of them earlier, but this is you know it, it fits into the the trope there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the party, Rapunzel asks Jack to go make a distraction. And when Jack's gone, Brute recognizes Rapunzel and he starts attacking her. But just then, a beanstalk starts growing. I guess I should have noted way early on. On uh, besides the goose that Jack keeps waiting for it to lay an egg he also had a bean <laughs> with him his, his lucky bean yes uh so i didn't i didn't point out Chekhov's gun there that happens in at the very beginning of the graphic novel but here's where Chekhov's gun goes off and a giant bean stalk starts to grow and it's very big fairy tale-esque even uh and rapunzel grabs onto the bean stalk as it's rising up and she gets away from brute but this bean stalk really messes up their plans because it actually lifts like all of the villa <laughs> like almost a, the whole a whole city gets lifted up in various parts on this bean stalk so the dungeons aren't underground where they used to be she's gonna go hunting around and she eventually eventually finds her mom and frees her and she tells her mom to go get to safety because rapunzel needs to go find goffel's totem and destroy it and Rapunzel comes across Brute and Gothel, and she tries to use her hair to choke Brute until he passes out, but he swings her against a wall and knocks her out, and then he holds her up by her braids, and Mother Gothel cuts her hair. Jack comes back, and but he gets overpowered by Brute, and Gothel tells Brute to kill them both. Uh, but then uh, Rapunzel and Jack are able to remind Brute that he had a mom, and Gothel was not her. And he realizes that Gothel's been manipulating him and also made him grow big. He is much bigger than an average man because of her growth magic. And Brute starts to remember things about his mom, like how she would kiss his nose and that she smelled like grape jelly beans. Then he turns on Gothel and releases Jack and Rapunzel. And Gothel begins to cast a spell, which makes vines grow and trap everyone. Rapunzel uses a vine as a whip. She is very handy with whips and she ties up Goffle's hands. Jack grabs the scissors and he throws them to Rapunzel who uses them to cut away the vines around her um, as well as like the, the giant skirt portions, portions of her gown. So she's back down to just the petticoat. Um, they stop Goffle from uh, speaking a spell and uh, by, by shoving vines in her mouth, I think it was. <laughs> and, then, and then they find the totem and they break it using the golden pickaxe uh, that the miners had given them as a reward for catching that sea serpent. And once the, the, uh, 
the totem is broke. Like, so they break this case around the totem and then the totem starts growing into a giant magic tree, which absorbs mother Gothel into it. And with Gothel defeated, the slaves move into the whimsical, uh, uh, villa. Uh, okay. I, I guess we need to describe this, this visual. There's the giant tree that has grown and there's the beanstalk that's kind of leaning into the tree. And there's mm-hmm. this empty hollow area beneath it, but it's like the size of a city. Is and the entire beneath. villa was spread out across the beanstalk. Yeah, when so it the beanstalk is holding up all these buildings and stretching out and connecting to this massive, gigantic tree. Um, and so people move into the villa that is on that beanstalk. And they feast on the leftovers from the shindig. Rapunzel spends the night talking with her mother. And in the morning, Rapunzel and Jack climb a tower to see that all of the barren land has returned to lush greenery overnight because he was using magic to keep the land withered. And now everything, just once that magic was gone, it naturally sprouted right back up and uh jack and rapunzel kiss and then that goose that has been there the entire graphic novel lays a golden egg the end all right so andrew uh one of our first episodes we did a different interpretation of uh of rapunzel we we did the, the disney movie tangled in our first dozen episodes at some point um and I, I guess it's hard to read now any version or see any version of Rapunzel without thinking of both like what we know of the original fairy tale, but also that is, you know, Tangled is probably the most iconic version. And I think this does a yeah, lot it, to sidestep the feeling of being too similar to Tangled. Like it's, this is definitely its own story that is inspired well, by that classic. Tangled by a couple of years. What was that? Uh, it predates Tangled by a couple of years because this was a 2008 um, novel and Tangled wasn't until I think 2010, 2011. I think that sounds right. So this would have been, you know, purely just a a Rapunzel baseline. Um, yeah, Tangled was 2010. Yeah. yeah, so so the the it's hails not didn't have to be. It is its own thing, but they, they, yeah, it, they, it, it doesn't it, feel it, like there's a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah, it's it's it it is very much its own unique take on Rapunzel, um, and I think it's really just going off you know, baseline fairy tale content. And it's doing um, the kind of playful blending of a lot of fairy tales. So the miners mm-hmm. um, feel a, a lot like um, Snow White miners, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but also dwarfs, they mentioned Hansel Jack, has Jack disappeared. The yeah, so there's, uh, it, it, it is a fairy tale Western world. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So I guess it, it's not dodging any overlap with Tangled, but it, it just stands apart. Uh. And even though they're both inspired by Rapunzel and they're both doing their own versions of Rapunzel, there does not feel like a lot of overlap in these worlds. Yeah. It's. I mean, just fundamental elements that are gonna. You know, there's like an eighty percent chance of these showing up in any adaptation of the Rapunzel fairy tale. You have Mother Gothel. You have the Tower. You have lettuce. You have. You know. A, the basics yeah yeah uh, and you know that's all from the source material but it's just interesting to see uh you know disney with tangled it must have already been in production when this was in production because it yeah. takes so long yeah these prep. these would be basically you know contemporaneous development mm-hmm. um but they they play with those elements in such a different way and i really quite enjoyed rapunzel in the old west and her hair as a lasso like once you say that it's like oh i got it i'm on board yeah <laughs> that, and that works like I said, that's kind of on the cover, and it's like, oh, yeah, hair as rope. Okay, no guns, sure. This is a hero. This is, yeah, it, it just clicks um, very easily to say hair as rope is a lasso um, mm-hmm. for, for this particular story. 
Um, and I really did enjoy um, the work that was done by the three Hales, my <laughs> Shannon Dean Hale and Nathan Hale, in allowing the comic book medium to function at its best in a lot of areas in a way that I think, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much Nathan Hale had done before, but Shannon Hale and Dean Hale, this um, is the first graphic novel that they've done. And a lot of first-time they- graphic novel writers, there's um, you know notable kind of uh, stumbling blocks for first-time writers where yeah. they aren't using the medium to its greatest strengths um, particularly like, the the art side of things they're gonna they're gonna put too many words on a page um mm-hmm. they won't use layouts effectively um transitions and some of that's mitigated i'm sure by the artist um in this case it seems like he had a pretty decent handle on how to do comics oh yeah yeah um like this does not look like uh your your classic mainstream superhero comic book art but this mm-hmm. is good strong storytelling is happening on every page yeah the, the storytelling mechanics are are supremely competent mm-hmm. you know I, there's not really any issues with like oh i didn't understand what they were focusing on the layout was weird none of that you know i didn't have any any issues with that and there were even you know some creative layouts where the way things were flowing i was like oh that's fun they're using the layout to help you know work into the story um, good use of of large panels as well as small panels, so all of that was really good. So I assume that he had um, a, a solid hand in helping them manage the the adjustment to a new medium. Yeah, but, or, or they but just they had some natural intuitive ability think, to I transition over. They certainly must have had something because there's moments where there's an internal monologue from Rapunzel, and there's comedic effect because of how it contrasts with the imagery. Right, and this is the kind of thing that you can do in a visual medium like film or television or comic books, but you can't really do in novels um, nearly as well. Um, Maybe it can be done in novels, but it feels like it'd be really forced. Think of um, the opening monologue from Singing in the Rain is probably the most famous film version of this, where Mm -hmm. he talks about dignity, always dignity. And And he's doing all these undignified things. Yes, and he's laying out one version of his life, but our, uh, the audience is seeing a different version. And that happens like when she swings out of the tree. The, the monologue is something like, I very gracefully swung down and lowered myself with my hair. Um, but we see her just tumbling down from branch to branch like a, like a Plinko chip on Price is Right. <laughs> and completely um, terrified. Yes. Um, and, and so that I, th- I thought that was a, a moment where, okay, the, the visual medium is being used to... Uh, create a different effect in the reader than what could be accomplished in a novel, at least in any way that I can think of with a novel. Um, And so I like that. Um, Another one that uh, I thought was done really well in a way that you can't even do in a different visual medium, uh, like, like film or television, at least not nearly as well is like when uh, in the first gunfight in the bar, um, there's one panel where you see, you you know, you follow the path of the, of the bullet bouncing around um, different metal objects in the bar. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and there's a dialogue over it, but because it's a comic book, you can, you know, parse that out very naturally and like follow the path of the bullet as it's bouncing around, um, and see the, the dialogue, uh, you know, uh, or the text boxes that are overlaying it as well. Um, and, and it really highlights the strength of telling the story in the graphic novel medium. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, there, there's a couple sections where, you know, this is the, the skill of, crafting you know visual storytelling like you you've said really um i'd say this is above average mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, the sequence at the at the shindig where Rapunzel and Jack are dancing together, and there's it's like four really tall vertical panels side by side, and everything but Jack and Rapunzel actually lines up between the panels. Even you know people you would think would be moving. Um, but oh. in each panel, they just have Jack and Rapunzel moving to different parts of the dance floor. And so you maintain that focus on them and they're moving through this party and you just get the sense everything else is there. And obviously they're all moving and everything. But for the sake of the panel, you know, they could have just drawn one large thing, cut it into four sections and then moved Jack and, and Rapunzel through those four panels to give them movement but you don't have to move everything else around it. Yeah. Um, and one other thing that I really spotted or that stood out to me is like, okay, this, this is someone who knows exactly what they're doing with comic books is um, they they use the pace of the panel and also the page itself to tell a mm-hmm. joke um, about brute when he's, when he gets the memory of his, his mom smelling like grape jelly beans. Um, so you, you see on one page, like they're trying to remind him and he says like, Oh, I, you know, my mother. And then you turn the page and it's the top panel. Of the next page is his eyes are watering. And it's that line of dialogue, which is a pretty funny line of dialogue <laughs> um, about she would kiss my nose and she smelled like grape jelly beans uh, with his eyes welling. And, and it's funny because brute has always just been brute. <laughs> like his name was his nature and that's mm-hmm. all we've seen of him. And now we're turning him and seeing him, you know, this kind of innocent lost child look, but the page turn, helps the joke land. Um, and and that is like that kind of reveal is something that can get screwed up very easily in the comic book medium where, uh, you know, this dramatic reveal or comedic reveal, uh, the, the panel is on the same page or even um, like sometimes in reading superhero comics, you turn a page and you've got two new comic book pages in front of you. And like, just because you turn the page, you see like uh, a full page spread of a supervillain on the right hand side, but you weren't supposed to see it yet because you got to read the left hand page. But now you know uh-huh. who the supervillain is. And this was supposed to be the big twist, you know? And so you lose dramatic pacing and you got to make sure you time it. So like the big reveal is actually requiring a turn, uh, a turn of the page. And in this case, they're using it for comedy, but it just showed a, a very good mastery of using the graphic novel um, tech, uh, you know, mode of storytelling to, land a comedic beat which is something mm-hmm. that i have seen messed up many times in comic books or at least it doesn't land as well and this one landed really well yeah i think comedic beats are, are probably more difficult than action or dramatic beats in um in in graphic storytelling yeah uh, and, and in comparing this with other mediums of storytelling be it a novel or a tv show or or film you know like every one of those has their own strengths and things that they do really well and things that they don't do as well and i thought this leaned into a lot of things that that graphic novels can do um that that some of the other forms maybe don't do as well but then uh you know besides that kind of formalist aspect of how the story is being told I thought the story itself, um, and, and this could be done in any adaptation of it, I thought it did a good job of like subverting some expectations um, and kind of t- turning left when you felt like they were about to turn right in a way that didn't feel like you were cheating the audience mm-hmm. or pulling a fast one on the audience. But it's just like, oh, I didn't expect that. And <laughs> that was kind of nice. Um, so like um, Jack, when we first meet him, 
he's a bit of a scoundrel. Uh, and w- when they go uh, to the ranch and they see the posse being formed and, you know, the dad says, my daughter's been kidnapped. I'm going to pay 30 gold coins to whoever um, goes and rescues her. You assume immediately, okay, well, they're going to go rescue her. That's what's going to happen. But the Jack's like, oh, I know what we need to do right now. We need to go steal the coins. And so that yeah. was unexpected. <laughs> you know, where his, yeah. his immediate and, and, reaction is, go steal the coins. Um, and at the same time, they managed to make Jack still likable, even as he's saying this, which is, uh, speaking of, you know, tricks that are being pulled on the audience, it's amazing that Jack remains likable. It's kind of like a Bill Murray-esque. <laughs> you know, so yeah. something's there. He, he oh, has a, a really, like, I don't know how to define it, and I don't know if charm is the right term. Um, but you know, there's this, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it precisely, but he, yeah, he immediately says, Oh yeah, we got to steal the coins. And somehow that doesn't seem sinister when he says it, it seems like, well, he's in a tough world. He plays the game. Yes. Yeah. By the world's rules. Mm -hmm. And those just aren't decent rules, but he plays them. I like that, um, that explanation. Like, we are given enough to understand that what he is doing is well within the bounds of normalcy in this world and expect, you know, expected uh, means that people would employ to survive, you know, to get by from day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it's unethical, it's still accepted um, as standard operating procedure in this Old West fairy tale world. Um, but then... Okay, so so then we, we go again and uh, talking about expectations and, and these turns. So Rapunzel says, no, we're going to do the right thing. And, you know, and, and they, they do. They go rescue the girl. Uh, they don't use any guns while doing it. Rapunzel notes a couple times that Jack never touches the gun unless he's pushing it away, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I thought was a nice touch. So, you know, they're able to defeat these kidnappers uh with with her hair and his wits um and and her skills and then so they rescue the girl and you're like okay now here comes the reward because they did the right thing but again that gets subverted <laughs> and, and yeah. the dad's the dad you can tell uh i can't remember exactly how it gets real but clearly he's just doing this to save having to pay 30 pieces of gold he doesn't actually think yeah. that they were part of the the kidnappers but he says you might as well be part of the kidnappers and you're just double crossing them because you heard there's a reward um, and so they don't get the reward for having made the right choice, which is, you know, the classic beat in fairy tales is part of these are teaching these moral stories that if you do the right thing, you receive the reward and that gets undercut <laughs> um, right away. And so um, like there's this layering of of like, OK, we're setting up expectations and now we're going to subvert those. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, I want to go back to talking about the the artwork a little more, okay? because um, we haven't talked about like the quality of the artwork. I, it's not the, it, like you mentioned that it's not the the type of artwork that you're going to see in superhero comics. And I don't want to call it, you know, child focused, mm-hmm. but it, it is similar to the kind of artwork you would see in some, some children's books, but with the graphic novel formatting. Yeah. So a lot more drawing um, per page overall. But the other thing, and, and we talked a little bit about the skill with layouts, but there's some really, really clever stuff being done with the the artwork and the storytelling with it. Um, she gets a sack put over her head and there's two panels where it's just the inside of the sack. Um, so you get, you know, internal perspective. And that's really decent. Um, there's an action beat. And this one, I think, is is one of the better ones. 
um, throughout the whole story. When she's being taken to the um, the tower by Brute, there's a, like a panther attacks them. Mm-hmm. And they emphasize like the impact of that moment by not drawing the background and no border on the box. So it, it's, you know, breaking the boundaries of your typical paneled box um, and right. saying, you know, this is this is an alarming moment. You know, this is striking your attention gets diverted. You don't see what's going on. You see this moment. You know, you don't see the background and the trees. You see the panther and the action. I think and they I do think a similar really thing cool. when her hair gets cut. There's no, I remember there not being any border around um, the automatic snip. It just says snip with all these kind of um, like lines radiating out from the word snip, but it's in the shape yeah. of a panel, but there's no actual border, which just, it lends something else to it. And you, you hear the snip, <laughs> like you, you're, you're reading yeah. along and you get to that. Uh, well, it's, it's again, it's not a full panel cause it doesn't have the border around it, but this, this, word and these uh lines reading out from it that are in the shape of this rectangular panel um mm-hmm. and it stands out because it's different because it doesn't have the hard black border around the edge um it bleeds kind of into uh the the paper on the on, on the background but somehow you hear that snip and i think part mm-hmm. of that is actually that absence of a border just you process it a little differently or you give it a little more attention because it stands out from everything around it yeah and then um when she's in the tower there's a large page with rounded edges to show that it's like the natural space of the tower. And, um, and it's obvious that time's passing. She's, she's in the same like basic image of the room four times, but you know, between what you can see and what you are reading, you're seeing her emotional process. There's her being, um, you know, sad and then like violently upset and she's throwing food around She's got her hands on her head, so she's resigned to something, and then it's her sleeping on the bed. Mm-hmm. And so, in in you know a single image, unfortunately, there's the words to help kind of transition it, but you get all of that process, all of that emotional time, and you know that it's time, and you know that it's a series of emotions, and you know it's you know resigning to the fate and and settling into the bed after feeling all those emotions and becoming exhausted. Well, and also touching on the art, I think one thing that is done really well is also the coloring in this book. So, I mean, in hearing our summary, I'm sure you noted, like, this is, in some ways, like, very episodic. Like, okay, we're traveling from one town to the next. They ride off into the sunset after every town. Um, but the color scheme, in like, really differentiates these worlds. So the forest, there's lots of green everywhere. Even inside of the tree, it's kind mm-hmm. of a green tone. It's not necessarily the wood tone. Yeah, because- it's not brown. It's It's green. And it, it, so like if you flip through the book, you kind of see the different worlds based on the color. So then uh, there's a lot of brown when uh, they're seeing the old witch in the canyon. Like there's lots of brown there. But then when they're at the river, there's blues everywhere. And you just feel um, different color tones for each chapter of this story that mm-hmm. lends this sense of we're, we, we've moved on from one you know one location uh on onto somewhere else and you you feel it even if you don't uh like a reader might not explicitly stop and say oh the color palette has changed but like if you flip through the book you can see there's very deliberate work that's being done in in the overall tone of every single panel uh in these different areas that they visit yeah and that goes back even to you know i think it's in like the first five pages where you have the reveal of the mining space outside the villa Mm -hmm. and that's you know a really stark image um, when she climbs the tower because it's been all 
yeah, it's been all yellows and greens and even pinks. And then you get to the top of the tower and like 90% of that image is this really awful shades of gray, like just a bunch of different grays. What, and and no it's also color. very muted, whereas before when it was her childhood in the villa, it was very warm colors. Like they, they, he mm-hmm. um, was using the warmest versions of those greens and, and yellows, like you were saying. And then this becomes a yeah. very muted and then, flat gray. Yeah. And, and so when you talk about those colors being, you know, kind of location based, that really tracks, you know, the mine is going to be the gray space. The villa has this certain color. The forest has this certain color. Um, each town has kind of a different thing. And even when they're in, you know, the deserts of the old West, you get a few different versions of that. Uh, anything else about the art that you wanted to touch on? No, that was it. I, I had been flipping back through the pages and noticing it's like, Oh, this is a, a really, you know, the fact that he didn't use this border here was really great. You know, so noticing a few things. And if I remember right, there's also uh, like some fun moments, like uh, like each new section where it's like part one, part two, part three. Usually there's like a full page spread. And I, I just remember a yeah, lot of those, like Marvel's armpit one just looks barren mm-hmm. and gross. And uh, the one where they're going into the canyon, I remember like Brute is down in the foreground and they're way up above on the cliff. And there's really some fun perspective work. Oh, and... One other thing I do have to note, it's well established on this podcast. I very much enjoy a good map laying out a fantasy world. And this. Yeah, there's a there's a real good map. This includes some good maps <laughs> um, uh, of, of this fairy tale Old West world. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Rapunzel and Jack, I guess, each of them for their characters. If you were going to try and like <laughs> lay out what is going to define Rapunzel's personality, what what are some of the, the key words for this? I mean, there's definitely intentional rebellion. Yes. Uh, but there's, there's like also... a very targeted rebellion. Uh, okay, so... Rebellion. So, it's not a general rebellion. It's targeted. Yeah, and, and it's a moral rebellion, right? It's... Because mm-hmm. uh, rebellion can just be for the sake of rebellion. <laughs> um, see most adolescents. Uh, but this one... Yeah. There's an ethics, you know, a, a moral base and foundation. Um, it's... and And she has a pretty... I mean, she's really savvy um, to people's intentions and motivations, and she 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 takes a really good, fast, and relatively accurate read on people. Where she says, "Okay, this cowboy who shot the boar, this guy is the worst. I'm gonna go put him on a wild goose chase." Um, but Jack, okay, I can I can work with Jack. Yeah, I'm okay. We don't see that that cowboy prince again in this, I'm kind of hoping he shows back up in the sequel calamity Jack. Yeah. Cause we only, ha- he was only there for like two pages, but he was a presence. Um, yeah. I was like, okay, I, I see this guy and she immediately sees through him and is like, okay, this guy is, he's got like the big know, strong John cleft chin and the blonde hair and the, the white yeah. teeth. And he's wearing the pure white buckskin with the fringes. But she immediately picks up on his attitude. It's like, Oh, this guy's terrible. This is, you know, this this guy is morally not where he should be. Yes. And but then you have uh Jack, who we first see like in deception. Like he's dressed as a woman <laughs> trying to cheat his way through through life. And but she uh connects with him in a way that she definitely does not with the the guy who's doing like the perf- performative version of a good guy, right? Like the I'm putting mm-hmm. on a show of being the hero, and that does not connect with him with uh, Rapunzel at all, but she immediately sees something in Jack who is, uh, I, when we first meet him, basically a con man. <laughs> um, yeah. 
that uh, allows her to, to um, you know, I guess initially there is like they're on the run together. They're trying not to get shot. Uh, but uh, she she sticks with him and he sticks with her. Like there is definitely a connection there. Yeah. And then, you know, innocent girl has been kidnapped. She wants to help out. So she she has that moral goodness. And she also so it's the the immediacy of okay someone pulled a gun i need to stop him from shooting the girl's been kidnapped i need to rescue her but she also sees the bigger scale of mother gothel is abusing everyone (laughs) she is uh you know for her own gain using her withering magic to keep people in poverty uh, yet still force them to pay taxes so that they can even live and so she she also is driven by the you know the the larger scale issues that could easily be overwhelming for one person to try and think about how can I take a role here to, to correct this wrong. I think a lot of people could say, well, it, if I see an emergency right in front of me, I will do the right thing. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people would, but there are certainly um, like societal level injustices that it's just overwhelming to say, well, what can I do about that? But she, you know, sets out from basically as soon as she's out of the tree to go right some wrongs. Yeah. Um, where do you think, so, so Rapunzel, like in terms of her motivations, we don't see a huge change, right? She's, she's pretty moral from beginning to end. She gains some new skills and how she uses her hair. Um, she gains mm-hmm. a new understanding of what her task actually needs to be that, okay, I can't, I can't just say mother Gothel's being bad. I need to go break her totem and that's how I'm going to break it. So she, you know, she gains her information in the classic yeah. hero's journey way, but, and she, she learns about the world and how to go about her goal in the way of the world. She she learns to, you know, play by the rules, not as much as Jack does. But, you know, she starts to say, okay, well, we'll sneak in. Sure, we can handle that. Yeah, um, where at the beginning she's like, no so stealing, the, we have to do the right thing always, there's no gray area, and she yeah. starts to operate in a little more of a gray area by the end. Yeah, but still with, like, the, the good intention. Um, always the good intention. But, but... Just she learns, you know, in this world, okay, good intention means doing it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jack is a bit more of a transformation. Um, he's kind of the uh, just just um, in it for himself and his mother. Like he mentions his mother several times that right that he wants to be able to take care of her. He 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 messed up her house, yeah. <laughs> and it's not clear why. Though I mean, any reader with any familiarity with fairy tale, they see he's carrying a goose around and keeps talking about laying an egg, and he has a bean. You know, this is. Uh, you know, the goose that lays the golden egg and the bean can, you know, form the giant bean sprout or a bean stalk. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're familiar enough with that. Um, but he he still has this kind of in it for himself and he doesn't care who he deceives so long as he's fine in the end. Um, and like at the beginning when he's dressed as a girl, it's never clear exactly why he's dressed as a girl at the very beginning. Uh, but you know, that, that deception fine. That's, that's not that big a deal. He's just trying to get work. He, you know, he actually says, can I get, do some work to get some food? And he's just trying to survive long enough for the goose to lay the egg. And so that one doesn't mm-hmm. feel very transgressive, but when his first reaction to uh, the, the kidnapped father who says, I'm going to pay anyone who can rescue my daughter, 30 pieces of gold. His first reaction is that, well, I, I, he says, that guy's got 30 pieces of gold. Let's go steal. That's where you're like, Hmm, Jack. <laughs> that's, that's that's like a uh, you know more transgressive morality than like i'm doing what i need to to survive yeah and i mean there's a point where she establishes she says you know i'm gonna be the boss you're my sidekick and he really kind of shifts gears once he has someone to follow somebody to stick with someone to support right and um besides himself. yeah and, and it's not just that um 
that she is the one that can keep him alive. Like she, she is better to fight than he is. Right. So there's that, that kind of establishes yeah. the, the, the hero sidekick relationship. Um, but I, I think that is a key part in the transition where he stops, uh, you know, just, just looking out for himself and he's like, okay, I'm part of a team and the stronger moral force is the leader of the team. And he kind of is willing to follow along with that. Yeah. Cause before that, um, you know, they make a plan and then he improvises. And after that, they make a plan and he kind of sticks with it or at least is, you know, communicating. So is that, is that the biggest moment of transition for him when he says, okay, I'm going to I think that's you. where, I think that's where it really starts to be evident. And he doesn't, I don't think he, he jumps out with any of the, let's steal some gold from that, from um, that after that point. And I think, so I think that's when he switches gears into, okay, maybe I should be changing how I do. Um, and, but he still has that kind of, um, you know, that edge where it's like, okay, I'm, I'll give you, like, she trusts him to go make a distraction, but he doesn't tell her what it is. She doesn't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, yeah. you know, he still has his secrets in some ways and his, his, distra- his distraction is, is the biggest distraction imaginable. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Yes. So there's still kind of that, that crazy edge to him uh, from the, that, that stays true. Yeah. And then um, I think one evidence of it, but it's also kind of evidence of their relationship is he, per her orders, he's not supposed to come back for her. Um, she's supposed to be able to find and destroy the totem on her own, but he does come back for her. Right. I mean, there's also in terms of motivations that he's he's changing his his morality, I think, or, you know, his his personal code of ethics are shifting. But he also is very much attracted to Rapunzel or uh, yeah, Punzi, yeah. as he calls her. Correct. That was the, the nickname mm-hmm. he gave her was Punzi. Yeah. And so you but ultimately you get towards that last section and you're like, okay, he's going along. Also, he's trying to be good. Also, he likes yes. her. <laughs> you know, his, his motivations shift from, I got to watch out for myself. I got to take care of my mom to, well, I care about this person. This is my friend. All those things. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think all those work. Like none of this feels uh, like, like, yes, we're living in a fantastical world. Uh, when you pick up uh, Rapunzel's Revenge, you you just accept that this is going to be a fairy tale. There's going to be magic. There's going to be things that don't conform to our physics, be it her hair or the way things grow or, you know, any of those things. Um, but I, th- I think the characters uh, feel consistent and their motivations feel earned uh, throughout throughout the story. And that's um, where I think a, a lot of what makes this stand out there's there's the strength of the form of the storytelling they're leaning into a lot of what makes graphic novels special um for a medium of storytelling but then they also um create these characters that feel fleshed out and true and as some of the shifts and transformations happen through the course of the story they all feel earned and consistent uh and so there's strong storytelling in terms of the narrative and then also how it's being told to us and i think that combination elevates this above uh just you know a standard graphic novel Mm-hmm. Um, I another thing while I'm thinking about it for Rapunzel's character, I think one of the biggest changes is her increase in confidence. Mm-hmm. Not so much her competence; she she pretty much is always achieving um, at the same level, but her comfort level with it and her confidence in her ability to do it really increases. And I think you see that kind of culminate with the with the water snake, oh. where 
you know, they have a situation and she just starts taking her boots off. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to jump in and do this. Yeah, I think that's the first time we see her make the choice that this is what I'm going to do. There's a couple moments before. Um, well, okay, so you got like the bravado version of it where the reader's being shown this is not who she really is yet, where she's claiming that she nicely uh, swung out of the the tree with her, her hair lasso. Yeah. We see that she's really fumbling down. But then when they break out of the And jail, then she has like reactive, she has reactive moments in the bar. Yes, and in um, and where coming out of the jail, it, it, there's a moment where reaction. she like uses the hair to like swing herself around and do a full flip. And she kicks the guy off the horse because he was threatening Jack. And then both she and Jack were yeah, kind of like, I she, didn't know you could do that. And she's like, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> And then you get to the water snake where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to jump in and solve this I don't problem. know what it is yet. Like, I don't exactly know what the problem yeah. is, but I'll be able to take but, care but of it. But this is my role. This is what I do in this world now is I take care of things. And I like what you said. Like, she now yeah. has the confidence. So we go from that reactive to the active and agentive version of uh, Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like I like that, uh, The the what you spotted there. Um, so there is... Um, even if her morality is con- is consistent, there is a transformation in her, in her character. And again, we, we see those beats that like let you uh, earn a- every step of that journey. Yeah, you definitely track that. And like um, with the coyotes, she, you know, figures out, okay, if I swing around with the fire and everything, it'll work. Okay, let's, let's do it this way. Mm-hmm. And she didn't know that initially. Um, but by the end, she has a lot of confidence to say, I don't know necessarily what I'm going to do, but I always have figured it out. So I'll figure out this one too. Um, were there any uh, moments of the story itself that kind of stood out for you as you were uh, reading through? This is a final discussion point. Uh, I mean, the, the initial reveal of the mining, I, I don't know what I was expecting to see over the tower, but it definitely wasn't mm-hmm. that. And so that was a really good, opening to the story that's i think that was the most impactful yeah. one was so early on to just have it's like oh gosh everything's dead <laughs> yes. and it just looks gross it just except looks in this villa <laughs> the world yeah um yeah so it's that um, one and, and then maybe the i, I enjoyed the jackalope <laughs> um that was just fun and and i didn't i don't know if it worked perfectly because when they found the jackalope i was like oh is that actually the thing you know, the story pacing, there's a lot of small quests. And so I never knew which one was going to be how small or how big. Right. How much, how much, of the you story? know, and so you get like the small jackalope and then you get like 50 coyotes. Yes. <laughs> so I, I didn't know what to expect exactly with that. And, but that's just the, the structure of the story is, you know, here's a small quest. Here's a small adventure. Here's a small one. Here's a, here's another one. And then, you know, each of the four major sections has like three or four um, of those little adventures in them. Yeah. But it, I, but I didn't know. Okay, is, so the witch just doesn't know that there's a small animal eating his stuff. All right, I'm a little confused, but you know, is is something about to jump out on the next page? Because like you mentioned, they use the pages yeah. so well. Uh, so I had some tension there, and so that moment, you know, when I settled into it, it was like, oh, that's fun. It was just the the small jackalope. But until I settled into it, there was that tension mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, which I don't know if there there was meant to be. Um, but I, you know, I think about that section a lot. I think the colors were really vibrant in that section. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if anything hit me as much as that first um, reveal at the top of the wall. One thing I really like this is, so you get, I mean, I, 
I'm trying to remember in the original fairy tale, and I don't, I don't know the original fairy tale that well. Like the hair cutting that is part of every Rapunzel adaptation that we get now. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, we mentioned the snip that you almost like you can't help but hear a scissor snip when when you see that page. One thing I really liked is that um, the the way Rapunzel used the vines that were around her for the whip. <laughs> immediately after like uh, yeah okay this all works uh like her skill set I, I lost what i have but that doesn't mean i lost what yeah, i can exactly do. uh and and i loved the um it felt like there was motion in the vines in that section when uh these tendrils of vines are growing out yeah i, I thought the art there they had a really distinct um like angle and arc to them that worked really well for that yeah. sequence. And, and the way that she's uh, like, but I, I think this is probably consistent with the way her hair was drawn. It just works really well. Um, the, the way the, the kind of whipping action gets, um, gets drawn in. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, so for, for moments that stood out, the, the snip itself is somehow it just works so well uh, for the sound effect panel that stood out to me. And then I also, in, I mentioned it in the, in the summary, but the, the visual, it's not a full page. It's, it's, I want to say it's probably a half page. The, um, the whole city up being held up on, or the villa, I guess, being held up on the beanstalk as the beanstalk is leaning into this giant tree that has just grown out. And that is just a fantastic fairy tale visual. Um, you know, the, this kind of otherworldly, uh, familiar yet unfamiliar kind of visual. So I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. I, I wish that that had been a, a whole page because that's the, just the idea of that one is something I would like to see with more impact. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It is just about half a page, um, which is still good. It's just a really great, you know, there's like a massive clock tower on top of the beanstalk and all of that leaning into the tree. It's like, oh, and that's kind of the symbolically, you know, connecting Jack to Rapunzel and her background and everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's real good. <laughs> yeah, the magic forest and his world, like their two worlds are, it, are combining there. Yeah. So if that had been a full page, I think that probably would have been one for me um, with it being a half page. It's almost like, oh, what a missed opportunity to, you know, really lean into this fantastic, like that could have been a double page where you just give it all to this really crazy, only going to happen in this fairy tale story um, Mm -hmm. visual. All right. Well, any final thoughts about Rapunzel's Revenge? No, I'm okay. All right, well, listeners, if you are looking for a graphic novel for yourself, or particularly if you have young kids, my nine-year-old said that she's read this uh, a few times since she got it. Uh, we would definitely recommend Rapunzel's Revenge by Shannon and Dean Hale with art by Nathan Hale. And I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 137, when we talked about Squirrel Girl, or episode number 65, when we talked about Miss Marvel, or episode number 79, when we talked about the graphic novel Bone. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com, or also on Twitter. You can follow Protagonist Pod, or Jay Dorowski, or producer Andrew is at Disminute. 
and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we would love for you to say hello anytime. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Goodbye. Notice that we did not update the numbers at the bottom. All right, but I do not remember that we probably did Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Or they wrote. Squirrel Squirrel Girl, Miss Marvel, and Bone.